0: Today we're going to finish up CCD. Uh, Last week of CCD, which you remember stands for Crazy Christian Disorder. First week in this series we looked at complaining, the second week we looked at criticizing, and this week we'll look at doubting. We're going to look at that in the context of a choice. Uh, Show of hands, who likes choices? Do you prefer easy or hard choices? You think, right? It's it's where you know what's the better choice and what's not the better choice, and you just kind of pick the easy one. Life's full of choices, isn't it? You have big, small, easy, hard, clear, confusing. Today we're going to talk about a very easy choice, and I am going to, at least for me, perhaps for you, going to show you why it is often not preferable for us to have a very easy choice before us. I'm going to talk about the choice between doubt and trust going to talk about the upside and the downside of doubt, the upside and the downside of trust, and why it's really not that hard to know which we should do, but why we so struggle with what should be such an easy choice. We're going to do this as we start in Numbers 13, and I'm just going to get right into the text today, and then begin to um, back out of it slowly, looking more deeply at certain sections. So Numbers 13 through 1411, and I will skip about 15, 16 verses highlighting names, um, not because it's a waste of space, but it's just not the focus of our, our sermon today. 13.1, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord. All of the men who were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names Shemua, Shaphat, Caleb, Egal, Hoshea, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sether, Nabi, Guel. I'm now down in verse 16. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said to them, Go up into the Negev, and go up into the hill country, and see what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they're few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage, and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob, near Libo Hamah. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Enoch were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the Valley of Eshcol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. Actually, let's stop there. We have a uh, unique people, don't we? We have a group that we've seen complain, that we've seen criticized, and in a moment you'll see doubt. These are neglectful, forgetful, self-centered, foolish, and short-sighted people. What a bunch of fools, right? And the point of us reading this text is you you need to shake your finger at those Israelites. You silly, silly, silly foolish people. How could you be so foolish and stubborn and short-sighted and arrogant and prideful? And then you go back about your day. It makes you feel better about yourself. Thank you, God, that you made me not like these, these short-sighted, complaining, criticizing Israelites, but more like a prideful Pharisee. Right? That's what we do with this. Remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. God gives us these words, in, in, in this situation specifically, as an example for us. So that finger that we want to shake at someone else, God's saying, no, bend it back this way. And it's an example for us because we are extraordinarily similar to these Israelites. And we're going to learn from them How easily we can be neglectful, forgetful, self-centered, foolish, and short-sighted. We've seen we all like to complain and we're good at it. We're decent criticizers and I will um, posit that we can excel at doubting very easily if left to our own pretenses. So we have spies going into the land, those names I ran through. These are chiefs of the tribes. you got 12 spies. These are not just your average guys sitting around one day on the Adirondack chair, you know, resting the, the iced tea on there. Their belly, you know, reading the newspaper, napping away, and Joshua or Moses comes by and says, Hey, wake up, wake up. Oh, what, what? I need you going to go into the land. Oh, oh, all right. And they're just, they're wheezing their way, you know, into the promised land, looking. Oh, oh. These are chiefs. These are, these are like elite warriors. These are guys who know what they're doing. And they're going into the land. These aren't little scaredy pants. These are people, remember brought out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, pillar of fire, cloud, guiding them. They, they saw all the miraculous signs during the Exodus. They're, they're following God. They, they saw the judgment on the complaining and the criticizing. You have some refined warriors here who are going to spy out the land. Before they go into the land, might I ask you a question? This is a promised land. Why did God send them in to check out the promised land? Was it that God was up there in heaven and the angels are gathering around, and he's like, alright, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? It's come to, we're at the promised land, how do we deal with this? We, oh my gosh, let's send some spies, and they can tell me what's going on, and then I can figure out an awesome plan that'll work. Right? Because God didn't want to botch this one up. If, if he sent a in before he knew what was going on, they might, oh wait a minute, isn't God omnipresent and omniscient? So, why is he sending spies into the land? Any thoughts? So they'll know what's there, so they'll know what's there. and and we might like to think that God would send them into the land, and they'd see like a bunch of two-and-a-half-foot-high, uh, bone-reel-thin people with, with sticks and rocks, and, oh, we will whoop you! We will whoop you! But, but that's not what they found. And I think as we look at this, you'll see more clearly that God did send them in exactly for what Diane said, but what they found was a little different than what they might wanted to have found, at least in the majority. 25. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, We came to a land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Good news. We're in the majority. They got good news. We got wet and sticky feet. Don't you love that expression, a land flowing with milk and honey? Don't you envision, like, waterfalls of white and and sticky golden stuff clinging to the tree? What what does that mean, a land flowing with milk and honey? Any ideas? bothered me for many years. I was taught as a a child in Temple, don't ask questions. So I didn't ask questions. And it just really bothered me. Like, did they really go into a milk-flowing river? Where does milk come from? Goats, too. Don't tell anybody. That's nasty. Comes from lactating animals, cows and goats primarily. And how do they make milk? They have to eat stuff, don't they? They have to eat a lot of grain, and the more grain and the healthier the grain, the more robust it is, the more milk they can produce. A land flowing with milk is a land with wonderful grain for the animals to eat. Where does honey come from? And where do bees get the stuff for the honey? You know what flowers turn into? Fruit. So it's a land with tons of, of wonderful vegetation for the animals, and the people too, and a land abundant in flowers, which will turn into wonderful fruit. A land flowing with milk and honey is a pristine land with rich, fertile soil and wonderful vegetation and fruit-bearing trees all around. So they didn't have wet and sticky feet. They had a, a massive, massive thing of grapes. Wegmans must have set you back 450 bucks for this thing. A massive thing of grapes, because the land flowed with honey. And they were able to bring back much produce from the land. So, a little side note, that's, that's what that expression means. Lands flowing with milk and honey, that's the good news. But, 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 but. You see that but, 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 but right there in verse 28? I think they translate it, however, in the ESV. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And and besides, we saw the descendants of Enoch there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Which also means, we're going to die. There's the bad news. The land looks great. It's got lots of good stuff. But we're going to die if we go in there. Imagine there were 13 spies and you were number 13. What would you have uh, said? What would you have seen? Now remember, the majority and the minority, we'll get to the Caleb and Joshua in a bit, they saw the same thing with their eyes, but their responses were very different. Would you have been with a, we're going to die crew or not? Let me have a side note to explain something I don't want you to miss. Why was this called the Promised Land? God promised it to the people. Now, I know you've all memorized Deuteronomy 1, right? Everybody just shake your head. Yeah, we've all memorized Deuteronomy 1. There's a promise in Deuteronomy 1. And in that promise, God tells the people in verse 20, well, He promised the land, but when they get there, I said to you, you've come to the hill country, the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving to us. See, the Lord our God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, your God, The God of your father says, told you, do not fear or be dismayed. They come to the land. God says, go and get it. It's yours. It's a promise. But what would have happened? Let's imagine during the years in the wilderness that, that these people started, you know, some things that distracted them from hearing from God. Let's say that perhaps they weren't as available to God as they should be because they got busy, because, oh, hypothetically... Let's say someone started a, uh, a sports league in the wilderness. Beach volleyball, sand football, and dune racing. Those were the big three. And, and everybody got busy, and they, they packed the games onto the weekends, and sometimes on the Sabbath, people had to go to the dune buggy racing because their kids were in the championships, and they wanted to progress to professional dune buggy racing. And they were just not around to hear the promises of God, which he communicated, primarily through Moses, and often bringing them closer to him on the Sabbath day let's say that they invented a professional sandcastle league and everybody went out on sundays and saturday evenings to watch the professional sandcastle builders and it was awesome and it just so happened on the day god gave the promise in deuteronomy one it was a championship sandcastle tournament and nobody showed up at the tabernacle so nobody knew the promise so when they said go into the land people go we're gonna die and people go you're right we're gonna die and no one knew what god said about it hypothetically wouldn't that be pathetic if God was telling them stuff, if God was giving them a clear promise and they missed it, how sad would that be? You know where I'm going with this, yeah? Does God give us promises? Just one or two? A couple more? A couple hundred? 300? 4K, It's a lot. They're not hard to find. But how often do we neglect? to hear from God through His Word, as He desires, so that we struggle through knowing what to do, because all we have is our visual perspective, apart from God's clear promise. I'm going to give you one of His promises today that should blow your socks off. See what happened to me? should blow your socks off. But but guys, this is loaded with promises, and the reason is because God wants us to know them, so that we know what to do, and don't freak out like the ten. God told them, the land is yours. These guys knew it. But they walked in and they saw something that didn't look right. Would you have been with them? Well, think about your life. How do you respond? Some of God's promises and commandments, I know you you know, because I know. And I told you what I know, so you know. It's deep. Some of God's promises and commandments, you do know. How often do you take what God tells you to do, with your time, your talent, or your treasure, and then you look at the circumstances of life, and you say... It ain't going to work. God, you say do this as far as raising my kids, using my my resources, using my time. You say do this, but I see this, so if I do that, it's going to go bad, so no. I, I do it sometimes, you guys probably don't, right? You look at the circumstances of life, the commandments and the promises of God, and you say, God, you will not keep your promise, even if I know it, because I see something too big and too strong and too powerful for you. I know that you say, in you will find true joy and peace, but God, you don't understand because you have not been to the Caribbean. It's sitting on the beach where you find your joy, not not in the monotony of a life of obedience, aka, God, you're a liar. You don't know what you're talking about, but we wouldn't say it that way, would we? God, I I have this much stuff. Your finances the hardest thing for Americans. Uh, God, I have $100 and $200 in bills. And you're telling me, you want some of that hundred? Well, I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. The bills are too big, I'm going to die. Wait till I give you the promise in Philippians. Think about it, though. Would you be in the buh but we are going to die crowd? I think I might be hanging with those guys a little too much. Or would you be with these other guys? You see, Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua, they found good news, but they didn't find any bad news. Caleb says in verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with them said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw are in gra- of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the son of Enoch, who came from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Now the people freak out. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt! Sound familiar? Or would that we had died in this wilderness! Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt! Do you see how doubting is contagious? You see how it's so easy? See how easily people are swayed? Do we live in a world of of doubters or trusters as far as God? Doubters. Overwhelmingly, overwhelming majority of the world we live in doubts God. They they don't mind calling him a liar out loud. When we marinate in a world of doubters, we can easily become doubters if we've lost focus. Which is why we pray for focus, huh? it's so easy to doubt you watch the nightly news five nights in a row and you will be convinced you're gonna die it's gonna be miserable you're gonna to starve to death A tornado's gonna to hit you you're gonna die in a famine and that God has no nothing to say about this it's a world of doubters that God is in control and able to do anything and, and little by little we doubt too if you don't believe me chew on this a little bit when you pray do you really believe God hears and will answer your prayer or sometimes do you try to rationalize it away, like you pray for something and, and it happens right away, and you're like, ah, that would have happened anyway. Or you're going to pray, and you're like, oh, what difference does it make? Cynicism, it's doubt, it's what our culture is based on. We're easily swayed into it because doubting is contagious. And we like it because we can rely on ourselves. Pride comes into play. It's quite normal. So we have to be careful with doubt. And we need to look to people like Caleb and Joshua and Moses as well, 14.5, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the people. And look at what God says. How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done? among them. In 1330, Caleb says, we can overcome. Guess what we can do through Christ? We can overcome the world, because Christ has. We can overcome sin. In 18, uh, 14, 8 through 10 Joshua refers to, if God delights in us. As a Christian, do you understand your standing before God? You're not some dirty person who... God's like, darn, they got in on a technicality. You are are fellow heirs of Abraham through the blood of Christ. You've been washed clean through the blood of Christ. God doesn't see you as a a messed up, dirty, whining, complaining fool. He sees the righteousness of Christ imputed upon, put upon you. He sees you similarly to how he sees Christ in clean of sin. That's kind of crazy, you understand that. God looks at you and he's not like, ugh. Ugh. He looks at you, and he just, if he had a face like ours, he would crack a grin ear to ear with teeth showing. And he would say, this is my man, beloved son, or this is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. He would say that to you, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. Now understand that. And this God, who made everything, Elohim, the strong creator, is well pleased with you. He says he will care for you perfectly. His plans are to prosper you. Not prosperity gospel, use the words right here, but prosper you. To to guide you. This is a good shepherd, Christ is, right? He's going to lead us through life. If he says go into the land, you're not going to go in and get whooped. Unless he allows you to get whooped. Let's leave that in there. But the Israelites, if they went in and got whooped, the bigger problem wasn't that they got whooped, they had an inept God who lied and was unable to care for them. But would they have ever gotten whooped? No! God said, it's yours. Go and get it. And he can do that. Why did God send them into the land? I think because he wanted to show them what Proverbs 30 was all about. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Every word of God proves true. Go and do. You will be successful when you go and do. Don't. It will not go well. He wants to show them, those people are too big for you. They are too strong for you. You will fail miserably on your own. You have no strength to overcome this. You will fail miserably on your own. And that's where I want you. Because when you are weak, then you're strong. Didn't Paul talk about that? God wants us in a position driven to our knees before him so that we can see that every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. It's impossible with our eyes to to succeed in what he calls us too often. But in his eyes, it's a guarantee, isn't it? And that's where faith comes into play. It's not blind faith. It's not blind hope. 14.11, God says, How long will this people despise me and not believe me in spite of all the signs I have done for them? God could have just showed up. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Now Isaiah is saying nothing else That's all they get. Make up your mind. No evidence. And he would be fully justified in doing that, and we'd have to decide what to do. But that's not how God did it, is it? God created a physical world for us to live in so that we could examine it and see his fingerprint on it all. You know where science started? It wasn't with the Enlightenment with people trying to disprove God. It was with Christians wanting to examine how God did what he did. God put events into history for us to examine so that we could look and see that every word of God does prove true. He sent a man to dwell among us in flesh and bone, to die on a cross, to come back from the dead. And we could know this is true because He's giving us proof of who He is and what He's done and how much He loves us. How long will we doubt us that every word of God proves true. So guys, here's the choice. Actually, no, no, we're not going there yet. Philippians 4.19. Somebody flip there. Anybody have a, a handy Bible? Tabs help. I, I, tabs help. Pressure's on. I want you, everybody write this down. Philippians 4.19. Really, write it down. Don't Don't be like he's not looking. Write it down. Because I want you to remember this verse. This is a promise of God. Every word of God proves true. You got it, Patty? Would you read Philippians 4.19, please? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. It says, my God will supply blank need of yours. Some needs of yours. A couple needs of yours. Or every need of yours. God says, I will give you every need you need because everything is mine I can give it to you everything that you need I will provide for you so if you walk in obedience to God you will not be able to fall flat on your face unless he's a liar because he says I will provide every need of yours now our decision is do we believe him do we take it to the bank and cash the check or say yeah right God Liar! That's a loser. Liar! That's a decision we make. What's a good reason to doubt? Seriously. Good reason to doubt. That is a very good... See, you looked at it from a more functional angle than I had. If the source isn't reliable, that helps, though. it's a good reason to doubt. Another good reason to doubt? Trust is scary. Isn't it? Isn't trust scary? I remember when I was five, I might have been 15, don't tell anyone. I was five, I wasn't 15. My mom took me to camp, she said, you'll be fine. And I remember banging that lock on her big old blue two door, remember when the doors were as big as like a house nowadays? Banging that lock down and cranking my window up because I thought if I went to camp I was going to die somehow at camp. No! Oh! My mom said, you'll be fine. My mom was making me a promise, you will be fine. I was looking at the big scary counselor out the window and knew I would die. I had to trust my mom and it was scary because what if she was wrong? Reliable source. Doubt is is comforting at times to a prideful, self-centered people. We want to be in control. We want to sit in God's throne, don't we? That's where sin creeps in. Is that really a good reason to doubt, though? What's a bad reason to trust God? You lose control. You never had it. You lose a perception of control. Trusting God is scary business. Because you're acknowledging, I am weak, I am unable, I can do nothing good on my own. I'm turning my whole life over to you, and you will either destroy me or prosper me. And I'm a little bit scared, God. So it's often very hard to trust. But when you stop and think about the choice between a reliable source... Who will provide every one of your needs, who is a strong creator, Elohim of all things, who will never let you down, why would you not trust in every area of your life? And I think there are four reasons why we don't trust. I bet there are more, but we'll start with four. Number one, we forget where it comes from. We forget where faith, trust and faith, same thing. We forget where it comes from. You know where faith comes from? It's not from dogged determination. Romans 10.17, faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Now, guys, I hope you know, those of you who have known me for many years now, you know that my goal is to have you walk as intimately with Christ as possible. And I repetitively bring this thing off of this stand and hold it up in the air and tell you, it is incredibly important to read this. I hope you read the midweek thought last week, because I don't want you to go home and be like, fine, I'll do it. You start, all right, I'll just do it, because you will fizzle out at some point. Start slow, but it is imperative that we have our noses in this book daily, and we develop a love for it, which God will do for us, because, guys, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. You will not trust God on your own. You may doubt that He means what He says in Romans 10, 17, but I think we've driven home the point that God knows what He's talking about. So we can doubt that He means what He says and try to develop faith another way. Or we can go with the primary way God says and trust Him. It's not going to be easy, but we can trust Him with our time and give Him our eyes and our ears and ask Him to open them. Number two, we forget to pray. There are two types of doubt. There's a doubting of the ten. These are guys who wanted to doubt based on pride. They wanted to be in control. So they're gonna. you meet these people out there, people who don't love God, and you say, why don't you believe in God? Well, because the Bible is full of errors and contradictions. They're not looking for you to clear this up sometimes. They're just, and I'm not changing my mind. There are the doubters who want to doubt, but they're also the doubters who want to believe but don't know how. The people say, I want to believe, but I don't think God's a reliable source. Don't we have to show him how reliable he is? Then there are people who already believe, and, and they need to remember Matthew or Mark 9.24. You know what Mark 9.24 is? Somebody says to Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Remember that one? I think that's us. God, I believe. God, I, I trust you, but I, I need you to help me with not trusting you, with doubting you, because on your own you will not be able to trust God and you will doubt. We forget where faith comes from. We forget to pray. We forget who Christ is and who we have become, our focus. We neglect to focus on the amazing work of Christ performed for us. We neglect to focus on how much God loves us. We neglect to focus on the goodness of God and the power of this Creator who sustains us and loves us. When's the last time you sat down in a chair and looked out over God's creation for about five minutes and just marveled at the sucker? That sky that hangs up there with clouds, the trees, the mountains, the earth, the animals, the people, the air, the eyes that you're... Just let your mind go. It will blow your mind. But we get so busy... I wake up, I gotta go, I gotta get here and here and here and do this and this and this. I gotta get home. Oh, I need a break, turn on the TV, let me watch that. I gotta go to bed, wake up, do it again. Brrrr. Guess who we've forgotten about? And then we wonder why we doubt? Some distant deity who we don't really believe is intimately involved in every area of our lives? Slow down. Slow down. Focus on God. Focus on Christ, what he's done for us, his love for us. And number four, this is where the rubber meets the road. We don't lay it on the line for God and see Proverbs thirty five in action. We don't. God, I want to see you work in and through my life. I want to see you do amazing things. I, I want to experience your presence here. But but I ain't doing nothing. Levitate the chair. And it may be. If that chair levitates, you'll come up with ten quick excuses on why God didn't levitate the chair. We don't need more proof. We need more faith. And as you walk in faith, little by little, and in my baby steps, I've seen this time and time again, when you take that, that, that step at the time seemed gargantuan, that you're going to fall flat on your face if God doesn't come through based on a promise of His. Now, don't, don't go assuming promises. Yeah. Well, God, I'm giving all of my, my possessions away and I'm writing a check to my friend and walking away from all my money, and then you will provide for You'll starve to death on the corner if you start stepping outside of God's promises. Within God's promises, within His will, you ta- if God says to you, give it all away, if God says, give it all away, you know what you need to do? Give it all away. And you know you do it with a smile, because He has something better in store for you. Sometimes those steps seem that huge for us at the time but it's all going to go bad if I do. No, it's not. You look back ten years later at that step, like, my goodness, how could I have doubted Him? Well, now you've got another one in front of you. What I'm saying is, with each little step of faith, putting it on the line for God, He reinforces to us that He is who He is, that He will do what He says, and that you are in good hands, not with all state, but with God Himself. He has his eye upon you. He loves you more than you can ever believe. And he has everything at his disposal. He will provide every need of yours. That's crazy, isn't it? So we don't take those steps, but we need to just do it and see God work. So this week, take some time and think about, what is God calling me to clearly that I know? That little thing that you've stuck in the back of your head to ignore for too long now, where you know what God's telling you to do. But if you do it, you feel like you're going to fall flat on your face. This week, I want you to quietly get before God. I want you to say, God, well, I want you to say, God, I want to do it, but I don't want to do it. Will you help me? And then let Him help you. And take that step. And then just start smiling. Because you will see that God is not distant, He is present, He is powerful, He loves you, and as we take those steps, He begins to use us in amazing ways. Next week, we're going into Acts. You want to see God work in amazing ways? Come along for that journey. We'll be there for a few weeks, but you want to see God work in amazing ways? And God doesn't change. I think in our context, we often don't see God do amazing things in and through us, because we doubt when we should trust And I think at times I'm the chief amongst all sinners when it comes to doubting and trusting. Let's pray. Father God, I just, where do you even begin? I just thank you for the fact that you are God and you are concerned with us. That you love us. That you created us not because you were lonely. You created us so that we could have the joy of living in fellowship with you. So that we could experience your love and love you, so that we could be used by you. And I just thank you, God, that you, have, that you have sent your Son to take a stiff-necked, short-sighted, arrogant, prideful, complaining, criticizing group of sinners, that you sent your Son to die for us. When we were enemies of yours, you sent your Son to take upon himself the wrath that was due us, so that we could receive from him the righteousness that was rightfully his and live with you forever. And yet, God, we still doubt. And I pray you would help us overcome that doubt. There is no reason to doubt you, but yet the world tells us to doubt, and we doubt. God, help us to overcome the doubting, the doubting mindset, and I pray you would replace it with a trusting mindset, that you would help us take these small steps of faith day by day, walking in obedience to you, that we would we would focus on you that we would seek to grow in our faith the way you call us to not by some fancy schmancy program we come across realizing it is not easy it will be hard the the path you call us to the narrow path has bumps in it it's not always smooth sailing but it's joyful sailing because of the one who sails with us and who guides the ship the shepherd who leads us and God I just thank you for the fact that your desire is to prosper us that you love us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you have given us evidence to see of your trust, trustfulness, and that you even do that today through our lives. I pray we would become a people who trust you more fully, who would be a witness to you in the world of what life is like trusting the perfectly trustful being, the only perfectly trustful being, whoever is, has been, or will be. God, I thank you for the fact that you you are the one who helps us to trust. That you have such wonderful plans for us. And that as we walk more fully with you, we will see what is so awesome about a relationship with you. And day by day for all of eternity, it will only get better and better. God, I thank you so much for your son. I thank you for all that you have done for us. I thank you for who you are and who you have made us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.